If uh, you're, you're here for the first time, you're our guest this morning, we want to welcome you. We want to welcome you to Big Valley Grace, that we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you've joined us today. And after the service in the lobby, we have a welcome center. We'd love to meet you. And we'd love to give you a gift and welcome you to our church. But I welcome everyone today. And Pastor Rick, he sends his greetings. He's not with us this weekend. He's speaking at a men's conference, being a blessing to another group, uh, another group of churches. And so he called, and, and he wants you to know that right now, right here, he's praying for us. And he's praying that God's word might be boldly proclaimed, and he's praying that we might worship the Lord with everything that we have, that we might make Christ central. And we want to pray the same for him as he stands before a group of men and he proclaims the word of God. And so all of us here uh, in this room, everybody in the venue, everybody who's listening online, together right now, let's pray for our brother as we begin. Father God, Lord, we thank you for Rick. We thank you for his ministry to us every week. And Lord, we pray that you'd give him boldness as he's requested, that he might fearlessly make known the gospel of Jesus Christ to the men he's preaching to at a retreat center on a mountain, men who have gathered for the weekend to come to meet with God Almighty. Lord, we pray that, that you would be seen in that place and that you would be heard in that place. And Father, we, we pray for the same for us. Lord, we want to come into contact with you. We already are through the worship, Lord, now through the word. God, may you be the one that we hear today. May you be the one that we experience. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's family said, amen. amen. If you have a, a bulletin, there's a note sheet in there. That will be helpful today as, as we spend some time together. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 19. That as well will be helpful to you. If you don't have a note sheet or you don't have a Bible on the screens, there's going to be the verses and some of the text as, as we go through this morning and, and look at what God has for us. We've been in a series called The Last Seven Words, looking at the place of Jesus on the cross, the crucifixion, and the words, the statements that he chooses to make, the last seven statements that Jesus Christ makes while he's on the cross understanding that he could see that his death was very near. He chose his words wisely. And so if God on the cross is speaking, we should probably listen. And so together, that's what we want to do. We want to lean in and hear what it is that God has for us today. The first week as a family, we looked at when Jesus spoke on behalf of those who were actually persecuting him right then. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And so together as the redeemed body of Christ, we looked at the word forgiveness. Isn't it wonderful to know that we can have forgiveness in Jesus Christ today? The second week, uh, Jesus, on the cross, speaks and looks at the criminal that's hanging on the cross next to him. And he says, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise and so together as the sealed, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, the sealed body of Christ, we looked at the word assurance. Isn't it good to know that we can be sure of our salvation in Jesus Christ today? The third week, Jesus on the cross, he looks down and he sees his mom and he sees his best friend. It says, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here's your son. 
and to the disciple, here's your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. And so together, as the adopted body of Christ, we looked at the word family. And we entered into a room today, and we're among a spiritual family here together. Isn't it good to know that we can have family in Jesus Christ? So today, we continue to listen to what God on the cross is saying. We desire to hear what he might say to us. His arms are stretched out. He's had nails that have now pierced his hands and his feet. His back has been severely beaten, ripped open bare. His lungs are collapsing under the weight of the crucifixion posture. Barely able to breathe, let alone speak. And yet his eyes have locked onto us today. And he is willing and able to provide salvation and redemption for all who would believe. God on the cross is choosing to say something to us. It'd probably be good if we leaned in to listen. And so let's do that today. In John chapter 19, we find our text, and starting in verse 16, I'll be reading. It says, So the soldiers, they took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. And it says that Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews, they read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews, they protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and they dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless. It was woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened so that scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them, and they cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. And then here we come to the section that we'll look at today. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it and they put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and they lifted it up to Jesus' lips. And so the fourth statement together as a family, looking at the last seven words of Jesus Christ, the fourth that we look at today is simply, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. You know, I can remember a few times in my life, maybe you can as well, where I've experienced some extreme thirst. Probably can think of a few moments like that. There was a moment where my family and I, to celebrate the adoption of our baby girl, we decided to join a race team called Athletes for Adoption. There's a picture of the 17 of us right there. And so we joined the Big Sur 
kind of marathon. We did the family fun run, all 17 of us. We had a baby that was just a few months old in a stroller all the way up to grandma and grandpa and everybody in between. And all 17 of us, as a complete unit, kind of moved through the, the couple miles that this race was. And this isn't really the part where I experienced extreme thirst. There was water stations. Uh, we kind of just took our time as a family. We took our time so much, in fact, that when we crossed the finish line, they took it down. <laughs> we, we were the last. We were dead last. And you know what? We did it as a family, and it was awesome. But there was another moment, another moment where I joined a marathon team. And that experience was quite different. And uh, instead of a, a leisurely walk around the Monterey coastline, it was an excruciating, knockdown, drag-out street fight with my flesh for 26.2 miles through downtown San Diego. And our coach, as our coach prepared us for this moment, made it very clear that in our times of training, we were going to need to develop in us a habit of hydration. You see, it's very important because if there came a moment while running 26.2 miles that in my body I realized that I had now become thirsty, it would already be too late. You see, what that would mean is that my body was telling me that dehydration had already set in. And in a sense, I could sit down, I could stop, I could try to hydrate myself, but it's too late. I'm going to have to stop. And in a sense, I've already lost and so our coach dedicated, because if we really were thirsty enough, we really desired to want to finish the race, we were going to have to accept our coach's invitation to develop a habit of hydration. No matter how much pain I went through in those 26.2 miles, and, and I will confess I was in pain, it doesn't scratch the surface of the pain and the thirst that God, my Savior, on the cross experienced for all of us. It doesn't even begin. My thirst, when I, quote unquote, hit the wall at mile 21, it doesn't even compare to the thirst that Jesus had. And so him simply saying, I am thirsty, causes us to at least ask the question, what's he thirsty for? What is Jesus desiring? And from this place of the cross and saying, I am thirsty, I think he's extending to us some invitations to find that out. And so he's making invitations to, to find out what is his thirst, what is his desire, that our desires might become his desires, that we might embrace what he thirsts for, that we might develop a spiritual habit of hydration. And so that's what we want to do together today. And as a church family, that we can have Christ-like desires by accepting four invitations from Jesus. And that'll kind of set the pace for us today, that we can have Christ-like desires by accepting four invitations from Jesus. May we accept them. The first one is this, the invitation to worship Jesus Christ as divinity, to worship him as divinity. In John 19, 28, our text that we read this morning, it says, Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Knowing all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. One of the ways that we accept this invitation to worship Jesus Christ as divinity is by looking at what Scripture prophesies about Jesus. Because Scripture prophecy about Jesus, it points to his divinity. 
This verse says that Jesus makes the statement, I am thirsty, and then it gives us a very, very important piece of information, so that scripture would be fulfilled. By saying, I am thirsty, Jesus was fulfilling scripture that was prophesied about him, the long-awaited Messiah sent from God to provide salvation. Let's look at the 24-hour period before this moment that he says, I am thirsty. Jesus had spent hours praying in the garden. We're familiar with that. All of his friends are asleep. He's praying earnestly to God. He was questioned by officials. He was arrested by guards. He was bound up as a prisoner. He was taken to the high priest. He was denied by his best friend. He was questioned even more. He was struck in the face. He was taken to the Roman governor. He was questioned even more again. He was flogged and beaten severely. He had a crown of twisted thorns stuck deep into his skull. They put a purple robe around him and they mocked him. They struck him in the face without defense. Who hit you? Who hit you? He was handed over to Pilate, by Pilate to be crucified. He was, he was forced, we know, at least to carry the horizontal beam, incredibly heavy, of his cross himself out to the place of crucifixion outside the city. He was crucified between two criminals near the main road so that the whole world could see his naked, beaten body be murdered, though he was innocent. And now we find him hanging on the cross, uttering these words, I am thirsty. Jesus could have said at any moment during the last 24 hours that he was thirsty. I'm sure every moment of that 24 hours, he was thirsty. But it says that so scripture could be fulfilled while he's on the cross. The gospels even tell us that earlier in this process, someone offered him a drink and he refused it. But now, while he's on the cross, so that scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus says, I am thirsty. Psalm 69, 21, it says, They put gall in my food, and they gave me vinegar for my thirst. The psalmist prophesies about this very moment on the cross with Jesus. Filled by the Holy Spirit of God, the psalmist writes that they would give vinegar in response to the thirst of Jesus. Right here. On the cross, we see the fulfillment of prophecy. In our text, again, it says, Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, and they put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant, and then they lifted it to Jesus' lips. Jesus, on the cross, under excruciating pain, in the midst of great turmoil, he's pointing us to his divinity. He's pointing us to the way of salvation. He's showing us that he indeed is the promised Messiah. In fact, one section of scripture by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 52 and 53, it so clearly and directly prophesies about the Messiah, the Christ, and how he would be treated. And it so clearly lines up with the mistreatment and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ it's pretty hard to miss that Scripture is prophesying about the one to come. And uh, imagine for a moment that together, Christ is on the cross in front of us. And God is saying, don't you see? Don't you see he's the one? Don't you see he's the one that was prophesied 
Don't you see it's supposed to happen this way? Listen to Isaiah 52 and 53 and how it clearly points to Jesus. Understanding God's going, don't you see this is what's supposed to happen? I'm going to read excerpts of this and kind of skip through the passage. See my servant? Do you see him? He will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths at him. Down in verse 4 of 53, surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Down in verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, but he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Down at the end, in verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, and now down in 11, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. And then down at the end in verse 12. Are you seeing it? Because he poured out his life unto death. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah, years, long before Christ walked on the earth, he points. And God through Isaiah is going, don't you see? Don't you see what's going to happen? And so we see that scripture prophecy, man, it just, it just points right to the divinity of Jesus Christ. So many places in this text, they describe the cross of Christ. And Another way that we accept the invitation to worship Jesus Christ as divinity is by observing the claims of Jesus because the claims that Jesus made, they point to his divinity as well. Jesus himself claimed to be one with God the Father. He claimed to be divine. In John chapter 10, starting in verse 24, it says that the Jews, they gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, will you just tell us plainly? And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name, they speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. And then down in verse 30, Jesus says something pretty clear. He says, I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus had no problem pointing people to his divinity. He had no problem teaching that he and the Father were one. Jesus, the Son of God, and Father God is God. They're both God. I and the Father are one. Jesus was the fulfillment of scripture prophecy. He claimed to be God, and he was on a mission to glorify the Father. And so another way that we accept the invitation to worship Jesus Christ as divinity is by observing Jesus' glorious mission. Because Jesus' glorious mission, it points to his divinity. It points 
that, to ha- that he's God. In John chapter 12, it says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice comes from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And then down in 32, Jesus says, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. Jesus was indeed lifted up from the earth, and he has drawn all men to himself, and he has successfully glorified the Father. When we accept the invitation to worship Jesus Christ as divinity, we also grow in our Christ-like desires. We want to bring glory to the Father. We begin to thirst like Jesus thirsts. We can say, I am thirsty for the glory of God. So may today, together as a family, may we worship Jesus Christ as divinity. The second invitation that Jesus makes from the place of the cross is to relate to Jesus Christ as humanity. To relate to Jesus Christ is humanity. One thing that's, that's obvious in this text is that Jesus experienced thirst. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Jesus Christ is God, he's divine, but equally true is that Jesus Christ is man, he's human. In fact, he's the perfect picture of humanity. He's the best model we have of what it looks like to be perfect humanity. He's experienced everything a human would experience. Because Jesus experienced thirst, when I get thirsty, I can relate to his humanity. Jesus experienced hunger. In Matthew 4, 2, it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, I guess he would be. (laughs) It's a long time. 40 days and 40 nights. Man, I miss a meal and Big Joel needs in and out you know? 40 days and 40 nights. It says that he came to a place and he was hungry. Now, this passage isn't talking about just the regular hunger pains, like from missing a meal or even from fasting for just a a few days where your hunger actually goes away after a couple of days. It's talking about the hunger that's knocking on the door of death. Hunger that takes you to the place of starvation. When I realized that Jesus not only needed food, but he needed food to stay alive. When I'm hungry, I can relate to Jesus' humanity. I can relate to the fact that Jesus, you know, in, in about 15 minutes when your stomach's starting to go, you know, you go, whoa, Jesus got hungry too. I can relate to his humanity. Jesus got tired. This one encourages me. <laughs> Jesus got tired. It says, now he had to go through Samaria in John chapter 4. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired as he was. From the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When Jesus traveled, he became tired. I drove to L.A. and back this week. I was exhausted when I got home. I can't even imagine what it was like that Jesus had to walk everywhere. You know, he had to sit down and take a break. He'd walked from town to town. He needed to sit down in the shade. He needed to kick his feet up, in a sense, and and have a cool glass of water. Because when Jesus, in his humanity, when, when he exerted energy, 
He got tired. Because Jesus got tired when I get tired, I can relate to his humanity. Jesus needed sleep. This is my favorite, favorite one of all. One of the the things I just love that Pastor Rick shares sometimes is, you know, sometimes the most holy thing you can do is just take a nap. (laughs) And I go, yeah, how about now? (laughs) He goes, no, you got to finish this meeting first. Oh, okay. All right, Pastor. Jesus needed sleep. In Mark chapter 4, they're out on the lake, and it says that that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up in the waves that broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? No, what is he going to say? No, it's, oh, we lost Peter? Oh. <laughs> oh, Matthew 2, who's going to do our taxes? I, I, of course, I mean, sometimes, isn't it funny, the questions that we'll ask God? I'm, I'm there with us. Uh, don't you care if we drown? In the midst of an incredible storm, it says that he was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. He was probably exhausted. All of the miracle working he was doing, the preaching, the discipling he was doing. I'm so thankful that even Jesus needed to find a place to sleep. He needed to find a pillow, you know, the right pillow. You know what I'm talking about, the right pillow, you know what I mean? One, two pillows, whatever the right pillow is, you know. He needed to find a place to sleep. When I need sleep, I can relate to his humanity. Jesus experienced temptation, a passage that is incredibly encouraging to me as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's Hebrews chapter 4. 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. All the temptations that I've ever experienced, all the temptations that you've ever experienced, that you've ever experienced, all the temptations that all of us could ever experience, it says that Jesus was tempted in every way. Key difference, he was without sin. Isn't it good to know that Jesus was the perfect picture of humanity. And even in the midst of the fiercest temptations that humanity could throw at him, he was found faultless. He was found without sin. Isn't it good to know that we can trust in Jesus Christ, one who's perfect, to put our hope and our trust in him? Because when Jesus was tempted, when I'm tempted, I can relate to his humanity. Jesus, who was divinity, was also Jesus, who was humanity. And he was perfect at it. In fact, Scripture says that in his humanity, he was glorious. I love this verse, John 1, 14. It says, the word became flesh. Figure that one out. (laughs) The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the word of God who became flesh. He experienced thirst, hunger. He got tired, he needed sleep, and he was tempted. And because he did, now we, we can relate to Jesus in his humanity. And we see that even in his humanity that he remained perfect. 
and in every way that he was glorious. I don't know about you, but that inspires me. It inspires me to see that in his humanity, he gave God glory. And I'm challenged by it. I'm challenged by it. I want to be like that. I want in my humanity. I want my humanity to give God glory. And when we, we start to think like that, when we start to desire like that, we desire like Jesus desires. We start to thirst like Jesus does, thirst. And we, we, we begin to glorify God and we say, I am thirsty for the glory of God. May today we relate to Jesus Christ in his humanity. The third invitation that I see as Jesus is on the cross and he, he says, I am thirsty, is that it's an invitation to admit to Jesus Christ with honesty. To admit to Jesus Christ with honesty. Again, in our passage, it says, Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. He admits with honesty the reality of his situation. I am thirsty. Jesus models for us on the cross how to be honest, even blunt. I'm thirsty. In the midst of incredible pain and adversity, Jesus shows us how to be honest about where we really are. I am thirsty. He tells the truth. If we were going to be boldly honest together, if we were going to be completely truthful, how would we fill it in? What would we put in the blank? I am, what would be there? How would we be honest before the Lord today? You know, the, the fact is that we get physically thirsty. That, that one's pretty evident here in the text. I'm, uh, I'm coaching T-ball. <laughs> Anybody here ever play T-ball or coach T-ball? It's not baseball. <laughs> it's something different than that. But uh, I love it because every four and a half minutes, the kids, they come up to me and they say, hey, Coach Big Joel. That's what they call me. Hey, Coach Big Joel, can we get a drink? And I'm like, how about we do something first <laughs> and get thirsty by doing it, <laughs> and then we'll get a drink. One of the stories I love about physical thirst in the Bible is about David's mighty man. And anytime it says mighty man, I get all excited and pumped up. I want to be a mighty man for God. And, and it says right here in 2 Samuel 13 or 23 in, in verse 15, it says that David longed for water. And he said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty men, they broke through the Philistine lines. They drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and they carried it back to David. King David, so dehydrated from fierce battle, shouts out kind of like a hypothetical request that someone might get him some water, that he might have a taste of the water of his favorite well that just happens to be behind enemy lines. His mighty men, they hear it. What's up? What? Let's do this, right? The three of them, they break through the enemy. They get their five-gallon, you know, Alhambra jug. They fill it up. They put it on their shoulder. They break back through the enemy again, and they get it to their king because they're in battle. And they know that physical thirst is real. And if their king is saying, I need water right now, we're going to go get them water. They risk their lives to make sure that their king has his physical thirst taken care of. Physical thirst is real. Maybe there's something today that's going on physically. Will you be honest with the Lord about your physical thirst today? We get socially thirsty. 
A passage we already looked at when Jesus was tired and he sat down by the well. He was tired from the journey. We, we, we continue on in that passage right here in John chapter 4. And it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, uh, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The physical thirst of the woman and Jesus are obvious, but do you, do you see the social thirst, the cry of isolation? She's in the middle of the day, hottest part of the day. She's by herself drawing water in the heat. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty, so I won't have to keep coming here. Why was she isolated? Why wasn't she with the tradition of, of the women who would go out early in the morning when it was cool together? Why is she isolated in the heat of the day? Well, as you read on in the passage, we find out that her life choices, her sins, had isolated her. And do you hear the cry for help that she's making to the Savior? I don't want to have to keep coming here. Can you give me some of that water? In her own mind, she thinks her problem is, is some kind of social isolation. Now, we look and we see that it's a spiritual thing that she needs. She needs a Savior. But she's trying to fix her problem. Will we be honest today? Is there a place? Man, I don't want to have to keep coming here to draw water. Will we be honest about a social thirst that we might have with the Lord today? We get emotionally thirsty. Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet with God? My tears, they've been my food day and night while men say to me all day long, where's your God? Do you, do, do you hear the psalmist pouring out emotionally what's going on in his heart right here? My soul pants for you, O oh God, just like a deer panting for cool, refreshing water. Where can I go meet with God? I want to be connected with you, God. I want to be with you. My tears have been my food day and night. I've been crying myself to sleep. I can't eat. I can't drink. I just cry. All the people around me, they mock me. Where's your God? Hey, thirsty guy, where's your God? God help me. Emotions just pouring out. You see, God has emotions. And we have been made in the image of God. And so as image bearers of our creator, we have emotions too. And we crave love, and we crave care, and we crave nurture. 
when we don't get those things, we become emotionally parched. We desire and we thirst for emotional relationships that are healthy. Places of emotion that are healthy. Will I be honest? Will we, together as a family, will we be honest with Jesus today? Will we admit with honesty our emotional thirst? We get spiritually thirsty. This right here is an incredible picture that God paints in Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm going to kind of skip through it again like I did on the the last large passage and just highlight some of the places that show the spiritual thirst and, and what it means that we might be spiritually thirsty and Ezekiel 37, 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of God, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. You alone know. Verse 5, this is what the sovereign Lord says to the bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put my breath in you and you will come to life. Down in verse 9, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So... I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. Snap, crackle, pop. (laughs) They came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. Down in verse 14, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. Dry bones, a graveyard, skeletons. This is the imagery that God chooses to use to describe a people without his spirit. But when the spirit of God breathes into the graveyard, when the Holy Spirit of God comes into contact with that which is dead, new life comes forth. Jesus, in his own words, he says it this way in John chapter 5. I tell you the truth. I love it whenever he says it. It's like he's going, I ain't lying. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. How would you finish this sentence today, family? I am, what would you put in the blank? How would you admit with honesty your own reality to Jesus today? You know what, Jesus, I am, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm confused, I'm suffering, I'm lost, I'm rejected, I'm addicted, I'm I'm thirsty for God knows what. How How would you fill it in? What would you put in the blank? On the cross, Jesus was incredibly bold and brave and he declared how he was doing, he was thirsty, he was honest. Will we be so honest as well? You see, Jesus invites us to worship him as divinity. And he invites us to relate to him as humanity. And he invites us to admit to him with honesty. Will I be honest with Jesus today about my spiritual thirst? Fourth invitation that Jesus makes from the place of the cross. 
It says, later, knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Notice it said, knowing that all was now completed. The fourth invitation is to drink water with life-giving quality. To drink water with life-giving quality. What was all now completed? What's being completed is the process of redemption, the process of redeeming us. It was here. The long-awaited Messiah was finally here. The whole picture of the cross is an invitation for us to come to him, to come to Jesus, the source of living water. You see, Jesus explained this himself. In John chapter 7, it says that on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, just as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the spirit whom those who would believe in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. Hundreds of thousands of individuals gathered around at the feast, a perfect audience for Jesus to stand up and make an invitation. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Are you thirsty? Will you come to Jesus and drink today? Will you accept the invitation? Will you believe in him as the Messiah, the glorious one and only, sent from the Father, full of grace and truth? Are you ready for streams of water to be flowing from within you today? Maybe you, like me, have made the mistake of trying to produce your own living water. In Jeremiah, it kind of pretty clearly says this in 2.13. It says, my people have committed two sins. One, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water. And two, they've dug their own cisterns. They've dug their own wells. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Have you been digging your own wells, searching for water that satisfies? Do you dig one well? Do you search after one thing? And when you find out that it's not satisfying or that it just runs dry, you just go over to another one and you dig another well. You dig another place time and time again. Are your precious efforts of trying to patch up the well that you've dug useless and the water's just spilling all over the dry, parched ground? Psalm 63 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Maybe you're just ready to taste something better than whatever it is that you've been tasting. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Jesus is the perfect picture of divinity. He's the perfect picture of humanity. And he's the perfect picture of honesty. And now he also offers to quench our thirst and provide for us a drink with life-giving quality. Will you stay in a place of being parched or will you accept the invitation of Jesus Christ? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. When we accept these invitations, family... We can't help but have our thirst change and our desires change to be that of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I talked about a couple of races. Well, one of them was kind of a race. The other one was for sure a race. A couple of races I was in. Together, family, we're in a race. But guys, gals, it's not a sprint. It is a marathon. And it's a long run, or for some of us, a long walk in the same direction with Jesus Christ. We've got to make a decision. Are we, going to, are we going to pace ourselves in the grace that God offers? Are we going to develop a spiritual habit of hydration to have our thirst and our desires? Because, guys, we're going to hit 
the wall at mile 21. In fact, some of us seem to be hitting it over and over and over again in this life. It's inevitable. The wall's coming. We're going to run into it. Only by coming to Jesus Christ can we experience streams of living water that will flow from within us. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the 1,000th time, today you're going, I'm thirsty for Jesus. And I want to drink from Jesus because I'm tired of drinking. And Jesus is saying, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And he's welcoming you. Every day, every day, Jesus Christ invites me to come and to drink. Every day he says, come unto me, come and drink. And he's extending that invitation to us today. Maybe today you need to admit that you're completely parched. You're living in a dry and weary land and there is no water. You need to pick up your Bible and you need to drink deeply from the well of Scripture, the living word. Maybe today we would love to just sit down with you and pray with you. Over in the altar room, here in the venue, sit with a pastor or an elder and receive prayer. Maybe today you're socially thirsty and you're going, man, I need some spiritual community. Isn't it cool that we're all sitting in a room with people who probably need spiritual community as well? It's a good place to look and start. Maybe you need to get into a small group that meets in a home or a men's ministry group that meets around a table or, or a women's ministry table group. Maybe today you're going, you know what? I can't remember the last time I just sat down with Jesus by the well and drank. Maybe you need to set aside a day to spend with the Lord. Sign up for one of the unhurried days with Jesus. Maybe today you realize that this well, your favorite well that you drink from often, you realize that it's just lies. It's just deceit. And the well that you love, maybe it's just emptiness. And you need to step out into the light, step out into the truth. We want to welcome you. Join us. Come be a part of Celebrate Recovery. Let's deal with the hard stuff in life. It's really not a question whether or not you thirst. It's a question of what's the right step to take for your thirst. What's the step that we need to take together today, family? Which invitation will we accept to do the next thing that Jesus is inviting us into? When we accept these invitations, we begin to go, I am thirsty for the glory of God. Isn't it good to be thirsty after the glory of God together? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that in his last seven words, he said, I am thirsty. And thank you, Father, that we can come and worship Jesus Christ as the Savior. We can relate to Jesus Christ as humanity. That we can admit to Jesus Christ with honesty, Father. That we can come and we can drink from Jesus Christ water that actually gives us life. So, Lord, we thank you that our lives are going to be forever changed by accepting these invitations, by submitting to you. And so that's what we do together, Father. We submit to you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of endless glory, and all God's family said, amen. Come join us for prayer in the altar room. If you're our guest today, we'd love to meet you in the Welcome Center. God bless you as you go.